Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Well, starting a new series today and simply entitled Influence. Everybody in this room has influence. Some of you may have more than others, a larger group of people you influence, but you have influence. And uh, the question might be is, well, if I have influence, how to use that influence? And a lot of people use influence from a positional standpoint and train leaders from Cape Town, South Africa, to London, England, to Santiago, Chile, and and uh, in, in one common denominator is that we all have influence, but we're not always used to or familiar with the influence we possess and how to use it. Uh, growing up in my generation, it was total flip-flop of, of what's going on in this generation, and I'm not throwing any generation under the bus. Matter of fact, the generation that now exists is the fruit or the product of those uh, who gave birth to them. So if I was a millennial right now, I'd just look at my mom and dad and say, it's your fault. <laughs> you made me who I am. And to some degree, that's true. We all grow up in an environment, a culture. And whether we like it or not, that culture or environment influences who we are. It influences how we think. It influences how we live. If you grew up believing that wealth was a negative thing and in religious circles, now some of you say, well, that's never the case. Everybody ought to be wealthy or we all pursue wealth. I grew up in a church that if you were wealthy, you were obviously a sinner, which made me want to be a sinner. <laughs> that just slipped out. <laughs> but because, because I grew up hearing that, I thought, well, if we get too far ahead, if we're doing too good, we'll be criticized. You know what I realized? You get criticized no matter how much money you have or don't have, who you are, who you're not. You're going to get criticized. So when somebody criticizes you, if you can just learn to smile, it just takes all the fun out of it. Somebody's criticizing, they think they're going to get to you, you just smile. And guess what? It goes back on them. So God wants us to use our influence. But the problem is I didn't know how. I didn't learn how to use influence. I just learned how to work hard and... Uh, you know, I, did, I didn't really know the impact that my choices or, uh, you know, my thoughts would have on other people. And believe it or not, every conversation you have, the person that's listening to that may get something out of it that you didn't intend to say. So there's influence there that you may not be aware of. Now, I grew up in a culture where uh, in order to keep kids quiet, I heard these words. And if you heard these words, you're probably a baby boomer. Children are meant to be seen and not heard. Yeah, about half the crowd's going, yep, I, was, I heard that many times. And uh, then you heard this line. This is a great line. This is not a great influential line, but it seems to pass from generation to generation. Do what I say, not what I do. Well, that couldn't be further from Christianity because Jesus came and said, watch what I do and emulate that. Not just what I say, but what I do. Love your neighbor be the servant of all, all those things Jesus told us to do and, and taught us how to influence uh, other people in our world. And so, you know, I don't know who you are at work. I don't know who you are at home and, and how you operate. But the reality is everything you do and say is having an impact on somebody else's life. 
And you don't see it that way because you don't think nobody knows who you are. Matter of fact, at the office, you don't even think the boss knows you exist, doesn't know your name, doesn't know you're employed. But the reality is the way you walk, the way you talk, your countenance, believe it or not, tells a story of your life. Have you ever been around somebody that you, you think if they ever smile, they'll crack their face? Because they haven't smiled in so long, it's frozen. And I'm telling you, the thing I hate most about masks is I can't see your beautiful smiles. That really is it. Because I, I can't tell. And, and then on top of that, I don't know if you've ever ordered at a drive through nowadays with masks. I'd like a double quarter pounder. You can't hear. You can't hear what they're saying. And, and so I think covering our, our, the most beautiful part a smile changes everything. If you just look at somebody, you could probably go up to somebody and say, you're such an idiot. They wouldn't even hear you. <laughs> They'd see the smile on your face. And they go, I think they just said I'm brilliant. <laughs> it's strange how, how we, we have all of this given to us, our posture, our expression, our words, that God gave us to influence people to look to him. And religion, unfortunately, throughout the world, with good hearts. I, had, I grew up in a very religious church. A very, I was, everybody was going to hell except if God threw the lottery ball out and your number came up. It's our only hope. But he had a good heart. But the reality is religion scared a lot of people away from God instead of into the kingdom. And God didn't come to give us a spirit of fear. He came to bring hope. And so, but our passion for people to know Jesus and our inability to communicate that in a way that helps them understand who God is oftentimes drive, drives us to threaten, manipulate, or, or, or cause people to be afraid. You need to get born again because I hear it's going to get really hot. <laughs> you might burn if you don't turn. And when you get there, you'll churn coming out of the urn. I mean, who wants to go to a church like that? Who wants to even go? It's like, I'd be scared. I didn't even want to see God when I was a kid. I thought, he's got a Louisville slugger, and I'm going to get knocked into next week. And finally, I started hearing good news, and I felt guilty because somebody was being happy about God. I thought, you can't be that happy. The world's going to hell in a handbag. Yeah, but you don't have to be in the handbag. Jump out of the handbag. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about influence. Influence means the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something or effect itself. So when somebody's going through a tough time, and I've been around people that were in crisis, and if they hadn't told me they were in crisis, I wouldn't have known. And even when they're telling me they're upbeat, they're going, but everything's going to work out, it's all going to turn out fine. And people like that used to scare me. I thought, what are you on? How can you do this? How can you say this? Everything around you, your world's falling apart. You don't have to worry about your world falling apart if you know the one who holds the world. Yeah. Never build a monument to a moment because the moment can change. And oftentimes people look at every day and every decision as though it's permanent. But when you know God, things can change in a moment. You can go, go from busted and disgusted to blessed and beyond stressed, you're going to live a great life. But that, that comes off as shallow if you're going through. I want to hear people say it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. 
God's more than enough. That's what I want to hear. That's the influence I want to have. And so when we're going through a difficult time, just try your best to smile and look at, look at what lies ahead and go, I know that good things are ahead. Let me tell you, we're not going to lose. And, and a lot of Christians who are really, like, really scary Christians, I mean, you, you've been around scary Christians, right? Yeah. It's going to get worse. Yeah. And they use the word worse <laughs> before it gets better. And it never is going to get better. Jesus is coming back. And you're just going to go to hell. I can tell. It's almost like they're happy. You know? People want hope. The story of a, that I've told you before, it, it always comes back to me on sermons like this. That This couple had been married forever. They had no kids. And this, the, the wife was extremely faithful to God and faithful to church. But her husband never go. And in their marriage, he said this. He said, I'll never go to church. He said, I'll go one day a year with you. I'll go on Easter. That's the time everybody goes to church, you know, hopefully. And uh, so Easter after Easter, he would go to church with her. Easter after Easter, pastor would stand up, give an invitation. And while everybody had their heads bowed and eyes closed, he would just politely get up, walk down the aisle, walk out to the lobby, and then go out to the car and get it and get it ready for her. And every year she would pray, she would believe God, and she was standing strong year after year after year. Most people would have given up by now. But finally, one year they'd gotten a new pastor, and he was a little different than the old pastor. And so it's Easter time again, and the wife told her husband, said, Now, you know, it's Easter. And he said, I told you I'd go to church with you on Easter when we got married, and I've done it all these years. So this year was no different. He goes and pastor preaches and preached a really good message. So he asked everybody, again, bow your heads, close your eyes. And the wife's sitting there praying, going, God, year after year, I've watched my husband get up and go to the car during this time. She's kept praying and believing, stayed positive, full of hope, never railed on him, never criticized him, never judged him, just loved him. Year after year after year. At the close of this particular Easter Sunday, heads bowed, eyes closed, the invitation given. Husband gets up, walks down the aisle, and this time, instead of going out to the car, he walked toward the front of the church and gave his life to Jesus. Wife is shocked. She looks up and sees her husband up there shocked. So now she wants to get to the car. <laughs> what just happened? So she gets to the car with him and she goes, I, I don't understand. You've been going to church with me year after year after year on Easter. And you have never once responded this way. And she said, I want to know why. He said, well, the previous pastor every year, he'd tell everybody, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. And he acted real happy about it. <laughs> she said, but your new preacher acted very sorrowful that anybody would spend eternity in hell. And it moved me to accept Jesus. People come to the Lord, in my opinion, and stay in the Lord if they're given hope. Because whatever you catch somebody with, that's what it'll take to keep them. So if I preach mean, and I tell you you're going to go to hell if you don't do the following things, I'm going to have to preach mean the rest of my life to keep you. Because that's how I got you. But if you preach joy and peace and salvation, the gift of life and the love of God, 
You're painting the picture of a loving, caring, compassionate God who more than anything wants you to accept him so you don't have to spend eternity separated from him. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't send his his son into the world to shame the world that the world might be shamed. He sent him in the world to love the world the world might be saved. So when I talk about influence, influence takes more time than mandates, than requirements, than religious rules. Josh McDowell put it this way, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. So if all we do is have a list of rules and we use this Bible, this is not a book of mandates. This is a book of promises. I could tell you all the things you shouldn't do, but what if I told you all the things that you could do that would draw Jesus closer to you? Why wouldn't you want to do those things? Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. In his presence is fullness of joy. He inhabits the praises of his people. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You're the apple of his eye. Before you ever drew a breath, God had a plan for your life. You have a destiny, even if it's been partially destroyed by the choices you've made, God will never give up on you. As believers, we're called to influence one another, not criticize one another. We're called to build up hope and not judge. It's so important that we love people forward. We care about them. Yesterday, Susan and I had the opportunity to to spend some time with some of our kids. And we were at a restaurant. And I'm not saying this to applaud me, but I have such a hurting heart when I see people that I feel like are struggling. And we walked into this restaurant, and there was an older couple. Boy, I have to say that carefully now, older, because I'm becoming one of them. I hate using that word because I think when I'm 90, I'm going to feel like I'm 30. And I know some of you go, yeah, wait till you're 90. Shut up. I'm still going to feel like 20, so just leave it alone, all right? And I'm going to act like I'm 20. And when I die, I'm going to die like I'm 20, probably jumping out of an airplane or something. But I looked at this couple. He had on two different shoes and and I just, I, I mean, it was just, it was, it was just one of those things. And I just, I looked at Susan. She's, we're terrible. We'll give everything away, which is what we do pretty much. And so I said, I looked at her and said, you know, I just want to buy it. She said, go buy them lunch. And I went to the waitress. I said, don't tell them who did it. But I just wanted to pay it forward. I, can you imagine, what if that couple, and I never talked to them. Never, they, I watched them get up and leave. They never knew who I was. But what if they prayed before they came in and said, God, we have no money, but we're hungry. So it doesn't matter if they know me. What matters is they prayed to God, God answered their prayer, and now they look to God and say, you did provide. You never, ever know the influence you can have. uh, It's not about us. It's about Jesus at the office. Do people even maybe wonder if you're saved? (laughs) Matter of fact, if you told somebody you were a Christian, they'd probably fall down. What? You're just as mean as the rest of us. What the? (laughs) I don't know where your mind went on that, but I wasn't where you were going. Anyway, they ask that question. See, we we have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of the world. We have the joy of the Lord. And and for us to have a bad day, I'm not judging anybody for having them. We've had them. But my goal, I don't want to have bad days. I don't want to waste a moment. I don't want to waste a day. I want Jesus to be so Lord of my life that people come and say, we're ready to drug test you. What's he on? 
<laughs> Got an hour? Wouldn't that be so cool if people came up? And, and I'm just telling you, that, that people are attracted to the expression of Christ on our face and our words and our hope. It's not about what you don't say. I'm not worried about, you know, people get all bent out of shape and worried about. Look, it's not, you know, we, most of us follow the rules of what we should not do, could not do instead of what we can do and will do. Don't cuss, drink, smoke, chew, or date girls who do. Of course, in Oklahoma, you've you got to look a little harder for that. Because <laughs> you never know what's between the cheek and gum in this city. <laughs> That's what I love about Oklahoma, baby. <laughs> We're genderless when it comes to all that stuff. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Only state in the country, Texas, think they got all the manure and boots and stuff. We got them up here, too. That's probably the first time you ever heard a pastor use manure in a service, isn't it? Did he say mature? No, manure. <laughs> it's probably a good time to turn somewhere in your Bibles, isn't it? First Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 14, I love, I told Susan this morning, I said, I'll die serving Jesus. I don't ever want a day go by. So if you ever stop uh, listening to me preach, there's no telling where you'll find me. I'll be driving a bus in New York City. You know, if you do that, it's a great place to win people to Jesus because it's really scary. Yeah, there was a preacher that died and went to heaven same time a cab driver did. They show up at the pearly gates together, and, and God looks at the, the cab driver, and he said, man, I, I got a beautiful place for you. And he'd been in New York City his whole life, and so God shows him, and then the, the preacher's walking along with him, and he, he got a mansion. Man, it's beautiful. Preacher says, well, where's mine? God takes him to his little shack over in the corner. Preacher looks and says, hold on. Why does a cab driver in New York City get a mansion, and I get this? He said, well, it's real simple. When the cab driver was driving, everybody was praying. When you were preaching, everybody was sleeping. <laughs> Not the case at Mosaic Church. First <laughs> Corinthians chapter 4. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, Paul said to the church at Corinth. If you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ, I became your father through the gospel. Paul's saying you've had a lot of influence in your life, but I have become more like your father instead of just a guardian. Because I have cared about you. And when it comes to influence, there are three things I want you to write down and remember. I will not get to them today. Just so, don't get afraid when I go, oh, when's he going to get to the third point? You know me. I may never get there. <laughs> and if I do, it could be months down the road. Oh, yeah, I remember when he said that because I wrote it down. But what we want to do, because it's the simplest thing to do, is to require or mandate that people behave the way we want them to behave. And, and so immediately, we, we start out as a church correcting all the wrong behavior of people coming in who've never been to church. It's the worst thing that we could ever do is correcting. I, nobody likes I hate being corrected. I'm old. I don't want some young punk correcting me. 
I used the word punk, didn't I? Some young person. (laughs) It just feels wrong. Why? Because you don't know me. Don't be correcting me. But if you know me, it's not correction. It's a connection that we have. So through the connection, I hear you. So if you want people to hear you, you first have to build a connection. Paul is writing this letter to Corinth before he ever gets there to create a connection so that when he gets there, they'll hear what he says. You can be a Christian that can quote every book in the Bible, but if you don't have love and compassion and connection with people, they're not going to hear the good news because you're a bad news person. You're mean. You look at them, you share the gospel with them, you don't know them, and they, they balk at it, and you well, just go to hell then. Yeah, that just negated all the hope you gave him. Jesus loves you. You can go there. I don't want him. He's this. I will go to hell. You say, I would never say that. Your face would. (laughs) Have you ever seen people have that go to hell countenance? I mean, you get to see them coming. They're like, they don't really want to go to church, but they serve on every board and they teach and everybody knows it. I'm on the board, the board of demons. I mean, the board of deacons. <laughs> and I, keep, I, I teach second and third grade, and when I get to heaven, I'm telling God every detail of what I've done for him. Now, you want to accept my Jesus or not? Wow. Do us a favor and shut up. I probably had too much. (laughs) Therefore, I urge you to imitate me for this reason. I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life. Not my words, my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So when you come in here on Sunday and you raise your hands and you raise your voice and you smile and you love people and you put on your church face, take that face to work with you tomorrow. Because people are looking for Jesus and they're going to find him, hopefully, in us. Not being judgmental, not being mean, being kind. I mean, Jesus hung out with some characters, man. One of his 12... Even one of his 12, he invited in. As a church, we must let people belong. If people belong, they'll believe. If they believe, they'll behave. Church historically has said, if you'll behave, we'll let you be a part of what we do. If you'll believe, we'll let you belong. That's total reverse. We got to let people belong. I mean, some of you here right now, I don't even know, you may be drunk. I mean, without fail. I mean, you're on something. I know some of you probably are. And you're like freaked out right now. Everybody's being nice to you. And you're thinking, wow, that was really good stuff I drank. No, we're just really good people. We love everybody. And there's nothing but Red Bull in the Red Bull. Some of you have been arrogant as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then you will, I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love 
and with a gentle spirit. Paul's saying, let me ask you the question. So I've taught leaders all over the world, and, and, and one of the consistent things that, that I, I have said is if you want to lead people, now please don't miss this, but with all the politics of last year, that the reality is that people are watching our lives and listening to our words and checking out. It's so very, very important that we understand people are more moved by how we live than what we say. If we are consistently presenting or expressing or reflecting Jesus consistently, not perfectly, because nobody's perfect. You're going to have those moments. But people are very much listening when you don't think they are. But they're watching you more than that. Are you nice to people? Do you judge people? Are you critical of people? Do you ask questions of people? I used to tell all of my people that the content or the truths that you possess are only as strong as the connection you have. I can prepare a sermon that is is second to none, but if I don't connect with you, if I'm not connecting with the people I'm speaking to, you won't hear the content that I'm delivering. One of the reasons I like to laugh is laughter breaks everything down. I was a youth pastor for many, many years. One of my youth groups had a 1,000 kids. And people would ask me when I became an adult pastor, senior pastor, they said, what's the difference in the two? I said, well, if I'm going to reach adults, I have to have a certain level of information and go through their mind to connect with them. With teenagers, all I had to do was go through their soul or their emotions. I, I want to do an example of that right now, but it's very high risk. Can I think about it just a second? Wow, I think I'll wait till next week. It's pretty radical. I thought I'd get in trouble over it as a youth pastor, but I was, I was doing a series on dating. And, uh, you know, kids are highly hormonal. How many of you know that? I mean, we're talking any given moment they can spiral. It's not their fault. God put chemicals in their body, and their body's going, what? It's just a moment. You know, it's like you go from 12 to 13, and the voice changes, and, and you know, I mean, everything's going south, right? And I mean, they're just like, what do I do? What do I do? Look at her. I didn't know she was a girl. <laughs> Three years ago, I had no idea, but now I do. It's amazing how that changes. So I, I, I said, you know, I, I, I took the Bible. And I said, the greatest form of birth control on a date is this right here. <laughs> Only I put it somewhere. <laughs> Use your imagination. They'll never forget it. I still get kissed. I remember when you put the Bible down the front of your pants. <laughs> Archive the 930. <laughs> the challenge with church is 
there's another language outside church doors and we don't speak it inside church doors. We gotta speak the language in here that's being spoken out there and religious people hate that. I can't connect with you if I'm all up here all pious. The Hebrew says, who cares what the Hebrew says when you're an addict? Well, the Greek says, nobody cares about the Greek, help me get unaddicted. Am I right? Thank you. Jeez, I thought for a minute, I didn't know where we were. First Nazarene of Bethany. Anyway, they don't like me anyway, so I just added to it. I'm just kidding, really. It's okay. See, all too serious sometimes. You'll go out of here feeling guilty that you laughed at what I made you laugh at. God forgive me. It was the preacher's fault. It always is. I'm used to it. Just got a little bit of time left. You don't want to miss next week, trust me. This is simply the introduction. Next week it gets really out there good. Because everybody wants to have influence. Don't you hear that? I want influence. You want influence. And as a parent, our influence is not really influence. It's if you don't do what I say, you're going to feel what I want you to feel. My dad never asked me to do anything. How many of you know that? You live in this house? You live on my rules? You're going to do it my way? Yes, well, okay, daddy. Because back in the day, they weren't afraid to use a belt. Oh, my goodness. Some of you children just think they're to hold pants up. Oh, no, no, no. There is a direct line from your bottom to your brain. <laughs> they are so closely attached, they're twins. <laughs> That's all he had to do was convince me I was going to do the right thing because I knew what my brain was going to feel. <laughs> he didn't spank my brain. I mean, you touch a kid with a feather nowadays and you're doing 20 to life. I said, take out the trash. Hey, my mommy said take out the trash. And you got a social worker come. I'm taking them out of your home. You're making them take out the trash. <laughs> so many people. Seven steps. They're real quick. Trust me. It's not like, oh, God, we'll be out here by 2.30. This is just the introduction. So keep this. Next week, write this down and be here next week. There are three. My three steps are, number one, you've got to connect with people. If you want to be influential, you have to connect. Secondly, you have to direct. Once you connect with it, the purpose for connection is for direction. That's what Jesus, he connected with a crowd, and then he gave direction to the crowd. The challenge is most of us, because we live in such a fast-paced society, the thing we do with children, co-workers, workers, employees, is we correct them. If you correct somebody, you're going to have to be around them the rest of your life. You have to teach them. But we don't want to take the time because it takes too much time. But the reality is if you teach somebody, you've influenced them to do things the right way, you're not making them, you're transforming them. This is the, re the difference in behavior modification and heart transformation. Behavior mod modification often operates by threats. If you drive too fast, you're going to get a ticket. If you don't get home on time, you're going to get grounded. That's behavior modification. And it does work, but it doesn't transform. When you spend time with somebody and you have a connection with them and you tell them to be home by midnight, why? Not because you're a bad person and I don't trust you, but nothing good happens after midnight. I can prove it. 
I love you, I believe in you, but can you please just help me? I want you to understand, I'm having this rule, if you will, because I love you. If you have a relationship, you've connected, then there's not rebellion. Rules without relationship is rebellion. Rules without connection is rebellion. Defiance. When somebody knows you love them and care for them, it changes their response to you. Maybe not immediately. I've tried it with my kid. How long? Five minutes. Yeah. Never going to work. Number one, involve people. People want to feel that their perspective or issue is being listened to and understood and that there is mutual respect. Please understand, if, even if somebody's an idiot, not that anybody in here is, but there was some 930. <laughs> if you respect somebody, you say they don't deserve it. Well, neither do you. Neither do I. I don't deserve respect. I have positional authority. I'm a father. I have positional authority, but positional leadership is the lowest level of leadership that there is. If you only lead by title, you're really not leading. We don't lead because we have authority. We lead because we have, lead because we have a mandate from God to lead, and the way we lead is critical to other people following. You can say, well, you shouldn't be a leader. Some of the greatest leaders have come out of the greatest failures. You know how many millionaires have been bankrupt numerous times before they got their millions back? They made a lot of mistakes, but they refused to quit. I refuse to quit. The only difference in me and you is my mistakes are public. (laughs) It's the beauty of living in my world. But it's okay because I get to sit here and go, you know what? God never gives up on anybody. God never quits. His gifts and callings are without repentance. They're irrevocable. Your destiny is not attached to your stupidity. It's attached to his promise. I would have clapped if I was sitting in the audience on that one. I'm going to get cue cards and put them up behind me. Applause. All right. Demonstrate confidence. People don't believe in the Jesus you believe in if you act like you don't believe in him. Thirdly, establish credibility. Credibility simply means I'm going to do what I say I'll do, and when I don't do it, I'll apologize and I'll repent. Credibility doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means that you recognize when you're not perfect. There's nobody on this earth perfect. There's nobody qualified to preach Jesus, none of us. When they told me I was disqualified, I said, I was never qualified. (laughs) How can you disqualify the never qualified? I didn't get to preach because I was good. And I wouldn't have, if I was God, I wouldn't have called me, but he did. And I answered, don't pick up the phone sometimes. <laughs> Hello. Oh, it's you, God. Okay. Yeah. Preach? Why? <laughs> Who's going to follow me? I just realized I, I'm not a religious person. I'm a faithful person. I'm a faith-filled person. I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the rules. I believe in the promises. The promise is if you'll call on his name, you'll be saved. I like that one. I'm not saved because I'm good. I'm saved because he's good. I'm so thankful that his influence has lasted millenniums and will continue. I think about all the stories in the Bible. Caleb, woman caught in the act of adultery. David. Most of the great people of the Bible 
experienced great adversity, great difficulty, great failures, great problems, great sin. But we don't read those. If David were alive today, he couldn't find a church to preach in. But we live in this, this world that is so judgmental and so critical and so filled with hate. Our commission has never been greater than to love. That's our commission is to love. And it's hard when there's so much hate and, and, and we find ourselves slipping into the, the great slopes of debate and judgmentalism. Never rejoice when someone suffers. I'm going to go out on a political limb here. I don't know why. But when Rush Limbaugh dies and somebody says they're glad he's dead, if Nancy Pelosi died, it'd be wrong for somebody to say, I'm, I'm glad she's dead. She has family. She's a person. I don't care what side of the aisle somebody's on. I care about what side of the cross they're on. Our mission is not to, to be judgmental about the differences we have, but to love those with whom we have differences. 100% of the people that you irritate will never come to Jesus because of your faith. They'll come because you loved them in the midst of your differences. Say, but somebody's got to get them on the right track. If you enjoy correction, you're probably the wrong person to be correcting. Be likable. This week, put it on your refrigerator when you go home. I'm going to be likable. Some of you think you are, but you never informed your face. Be sure, wake up every day. Face, I remind you, today you're going to be likable. <laughs> Provide evidence. Your countenance will do that. <laughs> How you doing? Great. Are you mad? No. <laughs> Anybody who's married heard that. I'm sorry, are you angry? No, I'm not. Okay. Not feeling it, but I'll believe you. Be articulate. Be clear. Show passion. And I'll close with this last thing. I think this is only my second closing. You see, we don't have to be good at everything as long as we know that God is good at everything. For every case, every situation. Patricia writes, when I was 12 years old, my Aunt Aggie taught me to play guitar and to swim. She believed in me and how I could be taught something as long as I was open to listening and learning. Almost 50 years later, I realize now the importance of empowering others, believing in yourself, and instilling protective factors as a part of resiliency and others believe, believing in others. Interestingly, it wasn't until after Aunt Aggie died that my mother told me that Aggie could not play the guitar, nor could she swim. She just read books on both and believed in me. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be brilliant. If you love Jesus and you know Jesus loves you, you don't have to even be able to quote the Bible. I promise you, your countenance, your love is enough to win a world. It's not about how many scriptures you know. It's about the one God that you know. And if you know that he gave his life for you, and that you've accepted that love and that grace and that mercy. 
It's not about the scriptures you can quote. It's about the love you can give. People know when you care. When I first started ministry, I sat under a Methodist pastor who was absolutely probably one of the best hospital visitors you'd ever find. And I hated going to hospitals. I'm an optimistic guy. I'm the last guy you want to come visit you in the hospital, trust me. Never been really good at it. Never really wanted to be. Because people are sick. <laughs> and I go in, I'm typically really happy, and they look and go, are you happy I'm sick? Just want to rub off on you. I can do more than big pharma. Sometimes you just need to laugh. You know what I'm saying? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell Susan if I'm ever dying before her, I'm not sure. We, you know, but anyway, I, I just want to laugh my way to heaven. You know, like, they're like, sir, your blood pressure is going down, your heart beats. Ha, 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 ha. Can you imagine that? Having a patient's going, ha, ha, ha. Why are you laughing? I'm going to heaven and you're going to pay the bills. Ha, ha, ha. You can't get money out of me for my hospital stay. <laughs> Think about it. When you die, you don't pay. <laughs> the great exchange. So it adds value to Jesus paid it all. <laughs> I should be done. <laughs> Listen, the greatest joy of life is joy itself. Being able to stay in the presence of God where there's fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If you want to really influence anybody, when they're mad, stay happy. When they're unkind, speak kindly. Don't lower yourself to a level that doesn't glorify God. I get criticized all the time. It's been my job for 30 years. What do you do for a living? I get criticized. What are you doing the past time I get judged? And I've just learned to laugh about it. Not, not in the face of others, but knowing how much God loves me, that he trusts me with criticism and judgment, and that I'm not going to attack back most of the time. <laughs> Had to give just a little fraction there. You know, think about it. This week, you'll influence a lot of people. You'll influence the person working the drive through window. You'll influence somebody, your kindness. It may not have your name on it. They may never remember your face. But this pastor taught me, he said, Mark, when you go into a hospital room, they won't remember what you said. But they will remember that you were there. Practice just being there. If you don't know what to say, smile. Let your countenance preach Jesus. Was it Wesley who said, that, you know, I'm, I'm going to go preach the gospel and I'll open my mouth if I need to or I'll use words if I need to. The gospel is preached through the influence of our, our countenance, our love, our compassion, and our care. Let's do it with everything we got. That's what Mosaic Church is all about, a culture of love, grace, and mercy. You're never too far gone for the cross. You've never done more than what Jesus did to cover what you've done. Never forget that. Don't quit on yourself. Because God's never going to quit on you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that when you sent Jesus, you didn't send him here to tell us how bad we were, how sorry we were, how ashamed of us, your creation, that you, that you were. You sent him to show us how much you loved us, 
even in the midst of our wrong and our gross sin, you sent Jesus. Lord, I pray for those watching online, those in in the house today, that God, they would feel your love and that laughter has liberated them to some degree. We've laughed a lot and some people, religious people, would hate this message and probably hate me for the laughter, but man, God, I need to laugh. It's good medicine. And Lord, I just thank you for that medicine. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us such joy and peace and liberty in life. I can't help but rejoice. Thank you for being my God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to pray a prayer. I want to ask all of you to pray it with me, watching online, in-house. Pray this with me. If, if, you, if you're not saved and you thought, man, there's no way God could love me. There's no way that God could love me. Oh, you're so wrong. God has never not loved you. He is love in your darkest hour, in the greatest sin, in the midst of it all. God has been there waiting for you just to turn. He loves you so much. So now is your time to turn to God. The question is, not will God love me or can God love me, but will I love God? That's the question. Pray this prayer. Let God touch your life today. You'll never be the same. Say this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to suffer and die for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin, and I declare today I am forgiven. I am loved. I am born again. I will go to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to text the word SAVE to 405-500-1310. Text the word SAVE to 405-500-1310. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you. 